Welcome to episode 64 of the Draft Lab podcast brought to you by mtgazone.com. I'm your host, Josh Phillips, aka J2S Josh, and I'm once again joined by all time 17 lands trophy leader and one heck of a good guy, Chris Palmiotti, aka Florida Mun. This week, we're going to be keeping it short and talk about the mechanics of Brothers War. Bro, what's up? Sup, bro? Not much, just sad that they ended one of my favorite events in a while in the Magic 30 Chaos Draft. I went into it with much skepticism, but I gotta say, I felt like it rewarded you if you knew how to actually draft decks and not just sets. So it was pretty fun. I felt bad saying it in a way because a lot of people were like, wow, I feel so exposed. Why are you calling me out? But it was that I think it was you're saying that it was if you're just in generally good at playing magic and playing limited magic, it really helped you there. Because there's no tier lists, there's no podcasts, there's no crutches for everyone to use. And there was a lot of people that were having trouble because of that. They also take away the expectation of, oh, I'm going to get one of these 12 cards coming my way, certainly. So you can't even like make educated hedges about, oh, I'm going to take this and I'll either get like a geyser or I'll get repossession or I'll get some other cheap cantrips to like fuel my pack two terror. There's like none of that. You just have to see what's in the pack take a guess about what my wheel based on power level and start constructing a game plan relatively early. That brings us to our weekly update. As we were saying, it's been a crazy time in Limited Land with a combination of OG Dominaria Sealed and the 30th anniversary Chaos Drafts, which we all loved and should have been stayed for at least another week. We even have a limited OG Dominaria Arena open this weekend. May the opens be ever in your favor. Yeah, and on day two, you have to open two good pools. Right. It's like set up how the last draft one was set up, except it's all sealed all the time, baby. Well, it makes sense. It's a lot harder to do it since they normally seed in the drafts. So you would join in with the regular best of three Q mm-hmm. and they can't yeah. do that for this. And they just want people to get in there and get done. Yeah, makes sense. All right. We're going to skip the bounty and the pack one pick one because, you know, we're at the end of a set. No one cares about this stuff right now. Before we get to the main topic, I want to take a quick look back at some of our predictions for DMU. See how I did on those. Chris wasn't here for that episode, so this is all going to be a surprise to him. I was going to say, I don't remember doing predictions, but that's just because I have a terrible memory. It's not necessarily because I wasn't participating, but it sounds like that was actually the case. So you're telling me I could have just made this whole thing up, told you you were here for it, and you were like, yeah, that sounds right. Yep. That is often what I do with my girlfriend. That's great, honey. Let's... <laughs> my first one was, Enlist was going to be one of the most fair mechanics we've had in a while. I say that was spot on. It did its thing and it was never considered remotely overpowered and it wasn't even underpowered. It was just solid. Yeah, like my memory makes me want to think it was underpowered. And then I remember board states where they play like a cavalier and I'm just like (laughs) have to reluctantly trade like a 4-4 for it at some point. So yeah, I think it never felt too bad unless they played that rare white two drop on the play on turn two. Next one was, despite being able to go face, I think Lightning Strike will be slightly worse than Dragon's Fire was in HPG. Yeah, I think it just didn't line up as well in the format as Dragon's Fire did, which sounds like what you were kind of alluding to. Yeah. I would agree with that. I said the most overrated card was going to be Liliana. I think that was true early, but I think by like week two or three, it was more properly rated. Yeah, I had it in a seal pool. It felt very strong in draft. I could definitely see just wanting to start with like a terror. <laughs> pack one, pick one right. and being happier about that. The next one was I predicted that decks with domain payoffs would end up playing a bunch of off-color duels just to add to the count. I think I uh, nailed that one. Yeah, yeah. But the premium picks was like a duel with one of your main two colors for sure. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. 
This one's kind of iffy. I predicted that Pixie Illusionist <laughs> would be heavily underrated early. Technically, it was underrated because everyone said it was crap and it was just okay. Yeah, your deck had a kind of reluctantly turn out a certain way for you to be like, well, I guess Pixie's getting in there. There are some decks where you don't mind so much because you have so much dang domain payoffs that you're like, I just need to be able to hit my four or five land types consistently. But yeah, I think the best domain decks probably covered that role with better land choices and not with a one drop filler. So we could say I sort of missed that one. Sure. Yeah, why not? All right. Next one I said shore up would be the snakeskin veil of the set almost literally as in it's a really good one mana trick that just makes it it's impossible to play around and just wrecks people, you know? You know what made it better was the inclusion of other one mana blue spells in Ronus's Vortex and then the uh, what's it called? Minus one minus O. Timely interference. Yeah, because it kind of took away your priority comfort blanket. And so I think that was pretty spot on as well. Yeah, yeah. The last one. I mean, there were some other ones that were just kind of like, but these are all the ones I'd written down. <laughs> so that's what I'm willing sure. to go over. The Defender deck was going to be a real thing, but only one person per table should ever be in it. Yeah, I think that was pretty nailed too. It's almost like I know what I'm talking about occasionally. Occasionally. I think it's just literally during this one hour period once a week. Oh, the rest of the time I'm just completely wrong. Yes, yes. That's why, that's why I assume, <laughs> at least. Oh, man. But so, yeah, per usual, we're actually pretty good at coming up with predictions. So it's going to be interesting. This set is that next week, you're going to be helping me make predictions for bro. All right. All right. My lovely partner is going to be jet setting around the world. So I should have extra time to actually delve into the spoilers and see what's out there and make some educated guesses. All right. So next, we're going to get in the main part where we're going to talk about the mechanics of Brothers War. We'll explain what they do and how we think they're going to play out in Limited. The first mechanic is Prototype. It's a representative of the card during two different points in construction. So paying the Prototype cost lets you get the version where it's not done yet. The easiest way to explain these, though, is to think of them as a split card or a double face card. So in every zone, they're considered the normal casting of the card, except if you pay the Prototype cost, then considered that cast cost and power toughness until it leaves the battlefield. Yes, that means you can blink it and it comes back with its big boy pants on. For clarity, both versions have the same text box. I think this is a great limited ability because it provides versatility similar to Kicker. And I hate to be the person like it's similar to Kicker because this is actually a much different type of thing because you can take advantage of it with the reanimation. The similarities, though, are that it's like a great late game top deck that's still solid in the early game as long as you have the color to support it. And also, the color for this cheaper part makes it much less likely that they're poached by other players at your table, since they're much weaker when left with only the one expensive option. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to balance, oh, I just want the big side of this card, right? The purely colorless side of this card, because I'm going to have some power stones and stuff, versus being like, oh, this is a nice curve filler for my on-color deck, and then if I happen to just get to 7 or 8 mana or whatever, I could play this in the late game, and that's cool too. So it's going to be like a weird dichotomy of people looking at these and evaluating them based on what they already have in their pile. Definitely a cool mechanic. I think it is just kicker in another form. But yeah, I mean, I don't think it's going to be a surprise that anything that says blink on it is going to be on people's radar from the get go. The great example here is the Phyrexian Flesh Gorger. It's seven mana for a seven five minutes lifelink with ward pay life equal to its power. But you can also just play it for a black black one and then it's only a three three with all that text. So either one of those cards is good. Yeah, but significantly better if you're playing black. Right. It's like so much better to have access to the cheap side. In your mind, you're like, oh, I want to play the big one. But there are definitely times you're like, I just need my three drop. 
Yeah, and a 3-3 Menace lifelink with Ward K3 life is definitely above rate. Well, at least it's above rate in previous sets. If that's at or below rate in this set, we are in for something special. Yeah, one of the things I want to mention before we get into the next thing, which obviously power stones are a big point, that, is that there's tons of artifacts floating around. I think Disenchant is going to be the destroy evil of the set. Yeah, it's obviously an artifact-based set. Was Disenchant spoiled? Is it definitely in the yes. set? Okay. Yeah. And it's going to kind of probably feel like how enchantment removal felt in Neon Dynasty, right? It's just like so many creatures were sagas on their front side and there were enchantments creatures that you felt like you never didn't have a target. And sometimes some of the best cards looks like are going to be these prototype artifact creatures and probably really powerful non-creature artifacts as well. So I like that take. There's all these cards like, oh, I ramped into this seven drop or nine drop. And you're like, two mana, kill it. I like that they used OG, just straight up original alpha beta unlimited disenchant. There's also giant growth is even in the set too. So it's like they took some of those key spells from the early days of magic and put the into the set because we all went back in time. I think that's a cool flavor thing to do. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like an exciting thing for you boomers to uh, look forward to. <laughs> All right, the next ability are Power Stones. They're a new token type that's an artifact that taps for colorless mana. The big drawback is that they can't be used to cast non-artifact spells. Luckily, as we were discussing, there's tons of artifacts floating around, making it easy to pick up payoffs for all that basically free ramp. The mana can also be used for triggered abilities and activated abilities, or pretty much anything that isn't casting a spell. I think these might be underrated early on, but depending on how easy it ends up being to make these, it could turn out to be a hugely powerful ability. I feel like Wizards is playing a sick joke on everyone by going from a five-color domain set to, like, an artifact-heavy set. People are going to look at colorless mana and be like, this is useless. It doesn't add to my basic land type. There are certainly some cards that make you want to be monocolored. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Are the casting costs, like, something insane? It's triple, quadruple blue or something? All right, here's Flow of Knowledge. It's blue and a four. It's an instant, and you draw a card for each island you control and then discard two cards. Ooh mono blue that could be insane Eldraine is jealous but if you're two colors this card's terrible right <laughs> like if you're two even colors yeah yeah unless you get a lucky draw interesting okay so go ahead and talk about power stones like you said it's gonna really depend on how many like activated colorless abilities there are and how many ways there are to use mana uh, that aren't casting spells or just how many like, game ending seven drop artifacts there are right because <laughs> like you don't even need to sink the mana into activate abilities or something if you just know you get the a mana you win the game so it's going to really be dependent on the rest of the cards that are spoiled and how the set looks overall but in an artifact heavy set you have to imagine kind of like a colorless mana ramper is not going to be a dead card the next ability is on earth it's a returning mechanic can only be activated when it's in your graveyard as a sorcery the permanent comes back, gains haste, and if it would leave the battlefield, it's exiled. And it also exiles itself at the beginning of the next end step. This has always been a solid mechanic, giving you the option for a little more oomph after your creature trades off. It also provides extra value from self-mill or discarded cards. Yeah, last time I played with this mechanic a lot was in Modern Horizons 2, I believe. It's really cool that it's a way to kind of put pressure on if you build a more like aggro deck and you get to just for one turn swing with something pretty nasty in your graveyard. But like you said, it also benefits self-mill and it gives you a lot of like in-game decisions, which I think always kind of makes a set more interesting and usually better quality. So I'm looking forward to see how they utilize it for Brothers War. Then Meld is a mechanic that combines two cards into one ridiculously powerful card. Here's the thing. They all involve melding a rare and a mythic. 
So we're not going to go too in-depth about it. Basically, you pull off whatever conditions required and the two cards slip over into one. This isn't quite meme territory because most cards are individually good and they're most likely to win you the game if you get it to happen. I just feel like these are going to end up being bounties early on. Yeah, I mean, like you said, not much to talk about. Just taking good cards, make them even more busted and better, and you have to have a rare and a mythic. It's probably not worth anyone's limited brain capacity to focus too much on this, but it's going to happen, and it's going to be super sweet when it does. And I know when I play the Arena Open for the set, I'm assuming there's going to be a limited one at some point. My opponent's going to somehow have two melds. Urza and Mishra giving you the business. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's going to happen. All right, before we get to our end of stuff, I got some cards I'd like to get your opinions on. Sure. Tokasia's Dig Site. It's a colorless land, so it taps for colorless, and you can pay three and tap it to surveil one. Repetitive surveil trigger. It's not scry, it's surveil, you say. Right. So yeah, gets better if you care about stuff in your graveyard, which it sounds like with Unearth, that's a thing. It really depends. You probably can't put this in any deck, but if your deck is close to monocolor and then your auxiliary colors are basically colorless artifacts and like a splash of a second color or something, I could see putting this in the deck. But that's super exciting, I don't think. It all depends about how many mana sinks there are in a format, right? If there's nothing to spend your mana on, which seems unlikely since you have power stones, this probably goes up in value. If there's a ton of activated abilities on creatures and artifacts, you probably won't have excess mana to be surveilling with anyway. So I think it has potential. I'm kind of hedging my uh, opinion on it. We haven't seen the rest of the set, so we could say completely ridiculous takes and then take it back later. Like, dude, we didn't know this was going to happen, okay? Yeah, bro, give me a break. <laughs> How many bro jokes are there going to be during this whole set? So many, so many. I'm already ashamed of myself. I think this is actually really good. The fact that it doesn't come into play tap. So it's just an untapped land. And it helps you win in the late game. As long as you're not playing like three colors, I think you should have one of these in your deck. 881 should be a fine mana base. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going too much into like the cards that have been spoiled already. But if you do glance through the ones that have been spoiled, most of them are at higher rarity. But there's some cards that have like triple color pips in their casting costs. So yeah, it's going to be a judgment call for sure. I don't think it's like an auto include by any means. Definitely going to be some builds where you're going to be like, you know what, I'll throw this in. It's just a common, too, so it's going to be around a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It feels like it should be uncommon to me. I'm just going to be more annoyed that it's taking up a common slot, and I'm going to see it a lot, and I'm going to be like, wow, everyone at the table already has one of these. We don't need more to be opened. <laughs> and that's just going to turn into, like, a dead card. Right, because unless you're monocolored where you could play two of them and get away with it, like, what are you doing? Audacity. This is the one green enchanted creature gets plus two plus O oh, and has trample. When it's put into a graveyard from the battlefield, draw a card. I saw people saying it's like Rancor, but it, Rancor just continually coming back was the problem. The draw a card is nice, for sure. I think plus two plus O Trample, you know, one drop is pretty strong if there's any green X deck that wants to be aggressive and just curve out. I think that's a good effect that pushes damage early on. Eventually, it makes a creature something that they have to deal with, and then it replaces itself. You got to be really careful if they have enchantment removal. Obviously, you're setting yourself up for two for one. I don't know how much enchantment removal is going to be in the set. I think there's going to be someone who picks up two or three of these in a seat and just this and a bunch of one drops and runs over someone. Yet again, we are far from getting the whole set, but it's kind of odd because it seems like so much of the set is, hey, ramp up to these huge monsters and do ridiculous things. Yeah. But then the other half of the set is like, hey, kill them quickly now. 
I mean, honestly, this might be good with huge monsters too, because like plus two plus zero and trample is like no joke. Putting it on like a seven seven or something. I don't know how many keywords some of the bigger artifacts have, but adding trample to anything that has like five power or more plus two power could be a huge clock in a relatively short amount of time. So I don't think this being in a set with big things is necessarily weird. And so the other card that I'd like to get your opinion on, we were talking about this in the Draft Lab Discord earlier. <laughs> Siege Veteran. It is white and two for a 2-2 soldier. At the beginning of combat on your turn, put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature you control. Whenever another non-token soldier control dies, create a 1-1 one, one colorless soldier artifact creature token. Everyone's going to think of Luminar Gasparant, right? Right. That second line of text is probably worth colorless mana because what happens is if they don't have an immediate removal for this, you can get another creature to the point where it's like a big enough threat where they start to have to decide did they kill this or do they kill that creature. And usually if you spend multiple turns pumping up one creature with Aspirant, you just kill it and then you have some more time to find an answer for the Aspirant itself. But this this making your soldiers replace itself, assuming there's like critical mass of soldiers in the set, of course, is pretty crazy. It's like probably a lot of the things White wants to be doing all packed into like a three drop. That's easy to cast. One of the things I really like is that it doesn't say only once per turn either. If you have four guys to trade off with four of their guys, you get four tokens. Yeah, there was a scenario where you've gone wide and then you top deck this and you're like, I don't care about the counter. I get to just slam with everything. And yeah, maybe they make like one decent block. But then I just get to replace all my dudes with one ones anyway, push damage. I don't think we were, but like in general, you shouldn't get stuck in the trap of thinking of a card on curve. You should think about it in like other scenarios. All right. And then last card, promise that we can get out of here. I just like this one because it seems like a Floridamon card. Okay. Repair and recharge. White, white, three, sorcery. Return target artifact, enchantment, or planeswalker from your graveyard to the battlefield. Create a power stone. Artifact, enchantment, and planeswalker. So it doesn't hit just creatures. <laughs> Right, but you can, say, cast a prototype creature, have it die, Mm -hmm. and then bring it back as the big version. Yeah, this is going to be a fun one. I think this is going to be good. I think people are going to look at it and be like, sorcery speed, five mana, double pip, blah. But I think there's going to be ways to abuse this, especially if there's self-discard options floating around. I already know something that I would like to get back. Yeah, what? They have the mystical archive version of artifacts in this set, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. And there's this card called Sundering Titan. Mm. It's a 710 for eight. But when it comes into play or leaves play, you choose one of each basic land type and kill them. Oh. Bring that back on five, kill two of your opponent's lands. Be like, what are we doing here? We uh, having a good time? Yikes. Someone's going to get out by that and they're not going to be happy about it. I mean, I'll be happy when it happens as long as it's not to me. (laughs) Send me those screenshots, people. All right. So, Chris doesn't have a lot of time so we're gonna go ahead and move to our cool play of the week defor was playing a dominaria sealed and his opponent played the flame of keld while they still had four cards in hand and i'm sure it was a misunderstanding of how the card works since step one is discard your hand but defor used blink of an eye to bounce the saga with the trigger still to stack to make him discard that too poor opponent played a two mana one with nothing and limited If that wasn't game over enough for you, DeFore dropped a Lyra to follow it up. Oh my god. Poor opponent. Poor opponent. I hope that representative play pattern for my opponents in the open. I hope so too, man. I hope so too. I will enjoy my free paycheck. 
right, that brings us to Chris's bad beat. I don't know if I have one. You had one job, just the one. I know, and I play so much, so I know what happens. There was nothing like crazy that I can think of. Oh, okay. Here's a bad beat. So yeah, I was playing the Magic 30 event and had a pretty sweet like control Grixis deck. I felt pretty good about it. And on the draw, my opponent goes turn one Dryad Greenseeker, which is basically a 1-3 that taps and draws the land off the top of your deck if there is one up there. So it's basically uh, kind of draw half a card extra every turn. And I was like, well, that thing has to die. That's no good. And then the next card they play is Primal Adversary, which is a 4-3, 3-drop Trample Mythic. And I was like, okay, that's not good for me. I have a little slow hand, but that's okay. I I could beat those two things. And then they attack with their Green Seeker. I'm like, that's weird. Why wouldn't they tap it? Oh, obviously to catch Natural Order, which makes them sack their Green Seeker. And then they find Defiler of Vigor on turn four. So now they've gone Uncommon into Mythic Rare into Rare into Rare. And from there, as you can imagine, things didn't go so well. I almost stabilized, but they had a couple of good combat tricks to blow out my combats I needed to win. But yeah, that was quite the start for my opponent. So you're saying it didn't work out for you? It did not. All right, everybody. Come check out our totally free Discord where you can get deck techs, pick advice, check out trophy decks, discuss limited, or, you know, just chill. You can find the whole draft on Twitch at JTOS Josh if I am given $8 billion. Florida Mun, Icky, Equal TV to Jordan into four. Don't forget to check out mtgazone.com for awesome strategy articles by the Draft Lab. Well, that's 64 episodes in, and I'm happy that Chris survived another Halloween of trying to dress up gators.